From St. Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist proclaimed, proclaim the way of, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. You ever met somebody who embodies an ideal? Who embodies an ideal? I'll give you a couple of examples that came to my mind this week when I was thinking on these things. Uh, George Washington, right? For me, he embodies uh, perseverance. Neil Armstrong embodies courage and bravery. Eisenhower on D-Day embodies decisiveness in the fog of war. And then today we land on John the Baptist, who embodies the radical disconnect between Christmas and Advent. The reason is I say that is if you come to the Episcopal Church on the Sundays before Advent and you expect to see the baby Jesus away in a manger, you will walk away disappointed. There are no jingle bells in Advent, no Mariah Carey's, all I want for Christmas is you. Which is a song, I will, I will confess to you, this song is both loathsome, loathsome to me, and incredibly catchy. So, there it is. <laughs> John the Baptist throws down. He cuts to the quick. He says today in our text, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And oh yeah, by the way, happy holidays, right? It's a... It's a weird dis- juxtaposition, this John the Baptist. So why are, we, why are we looking at him, of all people, on the second Sunday of Advent? Well, the real reason is because John the Baptist and his counsel to us this morning is much more practical than Mariah Carey. And, it get, and John gives us good advice this morning. And the point I want to make today in two points is this. That good advice is one of the most important things you will ever get in your life. When someone provides to us wise counsel, wise means someone who can discern truth from error. When someone gives us wise counsel that challenges us while also having our best interests at heart, man, those are gold. These are good advice gives you the ability to see the blind spots in your lives, which you cannot by definition see before. You recall from last week that Advent is not about Jesus's birth, away in a manger and all that stuff. No, no, no. Advent is about Jesus's second coming and being ready. Adventus is what it means. Preparing for Christ's return. And I said last week, and I'll say it again because it's true, I can say this with 100% certainty, that Jesus will return for you in your lifetime. So this preparation is not for some future 5,000-year event. It could be, but I will tell this for you for certain, that Christ will return for you in your lifetime at the end of it. So we are reminded, get ready. John says, get ready. Good advice. And he tells us this in two ways this morning, my two points. What makes good advice good advice? Well, good advice does two things. It provides a correct diagnosis. It diagnoses the problem accurately. And then secondly, it offers us a real solution. So how does John the Baptist diagnose the problem accurately? And what does the solution he offers us look like? So first thing good advice, good counsel. 
correctly diagnoses the problem. I'll give you an example. Say you go to the doctor, right? You're not feeling well. You haven't felt well for a while. You lost a bunch of weight. You're exhausted all the time. You've got pain that gets worse and worse no matter what you do. So you go to the doctor, and what do they do? They order you tests. You go and get your blood tests, and he says, well, come on in, we'll talk about them. So you go back in for the blood tests, and he looks at the test, and he says, oh, yeah, oh, whoa. Now you're good, right? <laughs> Is that good medical advice? No, it isn't. So this is my point, and it's simple when you think of it. Good advice, listen, offers a correct diagnosis. And John the Baptist starts with the diagnosis. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, if you don't know this, John is quoting verbatim from a former prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet, like all the prophets, the prophets speak truth to power. They always speak truth to people that don't want to hear it. Prophets, as a career path, don't last very long. Jesus being, well, John the Baptist and Jesus being prime examples. So John is quoting Isaiah, and John is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah writes 400 years earlier, and he is describing the Babylonians leaving captivity as slaves. Literally, Isaiah quotes, is describing the Israelites leaving Babylonian captivity and going and meeting God, listen, in the promised land. That's the context. And fast forward 400 years, John the Baptist picks up that very text, and he echoes Isaiah, and he calls those people, he calls you and me out of slavery, out of slavery to our sins, out of slavery to our blind spots, out of slavery to the things we'd rather not deal with. And this is where John's advice stings a little, and this is why it's so incredibly helpful. Because you and I, if we're honest, are usually the cause of our own suffering. Not always. People do take advantage of us that we don't deserve. We get sick because of no fault of our own genetics or whatever it might be. So fair enough. It's not always the case. But I will submit to you, many times our problems are the result of our own making. Amen? We are the cause of our own suffering. And it sounds judgmental, and it sounds condemning, but it's actually on the, the exact opposite. If you understand the cause of your suffering, then, of course, you can approach a solution. Let me give you a couple of examples, right? And it's obvious if you stop and think about it for a second. If you chase money your whole life, if your life's goal is money, you'll never have enough, and you'll never be satisfied. You spend your whole life as, um, I don't know, an uh, NFL quarterback, 40-something years old, who spends so much time playing the game that he ignores his family and his wife leaves him, for example, right? <laughs> well, you asked for it, pal. What do you expect is going to happen? And this is my point. We've all been there. We've all done that. We all do things in our lives that get ourselves into trouble. And so pointing those things out, pointing out our blind spots before we act— it sounds judgmental, it sounds condemning, and it might even sting, and it might even offend you. But that's kind of the point. Because the only way for real change is to take your faults and own them. Blaming others for your faults will never get you anywhere. 
Ignoring your problems will never get you anywhere. Someone once said to me once, you know, it's not a sin to be an alcoholic. It's a sin to be an alcoholic and not seek treatment. It's not a sin to be short-tempered, greedy, you know, whatever the thing might be. Fill, fill in yours, right? It's not a sin to be that way. We've all got besetting sins. The problem is when you have those things and you refuse to admit them. The only way to solve a problem is to admit that you have a problem in the first place. The only way to deal with your sins and mine, God knows, is to acknowledge that we have a problem that we need to solve. And good counsel, godly counsel, like John the Baptist, reminds us of this very important, simple, and profound reality. That we are called to take responsibility for our actions, to admit that we are sinners, that we've fallen and we can't get up, right? Remember that old commercial? That's the first point of today. And I think part of the problem is a lot of, a lot of people will leave us there. Ever know somebody in your life who is critical of you? Maybe you had a parent or a friend or a spouse who's just always critical and never actually offers you a solution? Well, thankfully, that is not the God of the Bible. John the Baptist is critical of us. He's critical of us in our brokenness. But he also offers us the solution to our suffering. That's my second point. Doesn't seem obvious, but it will when I explain it to you. John offers us the solution. And in one word, that solution is the word repentance. Now, most people don't think of the word repentance as something which is helpful or constructive. Repentance is one of those loaded words. It has a lot of baggage to it. But the only thing, it's a Greek word, metanoia, and all it means is to change direction. The bridge is out. Okay, so you go through the sign, right? No, no, no. The bridge is out. Take the detour. That's what the word repent means. It's simple, and it's obvious when someone points it out to you. When John says repent, he's saying, listen, know your problems. Be aware of the shortcomings in your life and be ready and willing to change direction. Stop what you're doing. Recognize that you need to make a change and do something about it. Repentance, when it's properly understood, is not some crazy preacher waving his finger judging you. God help me if I ever do that, and I don't. But real repentance is a call back to what God has laid out for you in his plan. John has a great image, he, he, and you say, okay, that's nice, Father. What does that look like? Well, John has this imagery that he, that he borrows from Isaiah, and it's included in Luke's gospel, but not in Matthew's. So I'm going to read it to you. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, we got that. So get ready. The Lord is coming. And then John says in Luke's gospel, it's not in our reading for today, John says, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain shall be made low. Listen to that again. John says, repent. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low. It's an analogy. It's an analogical language. It's an image that for us to prepare for Christ to return in our own life, to prepare for the finality of our own lives. He says, fill in these valleys and lower these mountains. I want to look at that with you this morning briefly. The first element of repentance is that there are mountains. Listen. Mountains that need to be brought low. What does that mean? Well, I think like most people, I love mountains, right? You like mountains? Skiing down them, looking at them, 
all that kind of stuff. Six years ago, six or seven, I was on a, a man trip with three other buddies of mine, it was a great time, to Iceland. Anybody been to Iceland? It's basically a volcano, okay? And uh, it was an amazing, beautiful, surreal trip. And the one thing I loved most about being in Iceland as we were driving along is you could look at the mountains there. You just stop and think about it for a minute. It's a little bit strange because mountains don't really do anything, right? They just sit there. But I was admiring them for their beauty as I was driving these black, because it's all, volcan it's all volcanic ash, right? I'm admiring these mountains for their beauty, even though they could basically have exploded and blown up and wiped me out in a moment. But beside that, mountains are beautiful, but that's not the point here for today. One thing that mountains do, one thing that mountains do is that they block the view of whatever is behind them. One thing that mountains do is they block the view of whatever is behind them, and that's John's point. What blocks your attention from God? What is it? Well, I don't know. Well, let's think about this for a second. Mountains are those things that you trust, the things that you put in the place of God that block your view of him. I drew a picture this morning in the rector's forum of God, uh, just a smiley face and a piece of, like a mountain over the front of him. So you could kind of see God a little bit behind it, but he's blocked. Something's in the way. Well, what is it that's in the way that's blocking you from experiencing God more directly? These are things that take his place. They are idols. And the problem with them, why they're blind spots, is that oftentimes these people, places, and things that we put in God's place that block him that we place between us and God, they're actually good things. They're not bad things. They're things which we really value. The danger is that these good things become ultimate things. Give you an example. Think of the things that you put in your own life that you lean on for trust and support. Money, that's a biggie, because it actually partly works. If you've got financial resources, you can do things you couldn't otherwise do. Maybe it's your family. That also kind of works. You've got a family which gives, provides love and support and encouragement. Maybe it's your spouse. That also kind of works. That, that person can encourage you and be a companion. Maybe it's your career. That also kind of works. It gives you a sense of meaning and, and, and joy. Maybe it's leisure. That also kind of works. Spending things, doing the time, the things you enjoy doing. All good things. They're all good things. The problem is they can become ultimate things. And the problem is they can take the place of God. They can block him from view. Think of the things that you worry about in your life. Think of the things that kept you up last night from, say, I don't know, 1.30 to 2.15, right? Those are the mountains that block your view of God. They're the things that worry you or that you're, well, you, they worry you because you trust them and you're afraid you're going to lose them, and it can be anything. I'll give you an example. And again, these things are meant to sting. I'm always confused by people that claim to be Christians and don't go to church. I'm always amazed by that, and I'll tell you why. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. You ever look at a calendar? It's not Monday. The first day of the week is Sunday. And so the first thing we do on the first day of the week is we get together, we worship God with our parish family, the body of Christ. The first thing we do, it's a priority. It sets the tone for the entire week. We hear his word preached. We receive his body and blood. We encourage each other. We are encouraged by each other. We laugh. We pray with our brothers and sisters. And yet people skip it. And they skip it because they put something else in that place. 
It's a mountain. Whatever takes the place of your time with God is a mountain. It's something which blocks you from him. And you probably never thought of it this way, which is why I'm bringing it up. Because whatever it is, that thing takes precedence over him. Maybe it's not, you're all here in church, so for, for you today, that's not the case. So rather, let's think of it like this. What are the mountains that block you from God? And it can be anything, and it's probably something good. They're the things that you trust, the things that you lean on. Good advice helps you to identify what those mountains might be. And if you don't know, ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your friend. They know. So we need to repent of the mountains, right? The things that block our view of God, the things we put in his place, in his way. But there's also the valleys. I want to spend a little bit of time on this one, these valleys. What does it mean? What does John mean by this valley that blocks God's arrival? Well, again, it's an analogy. What does he mean? Well, these valleys are the ditches that we dig, the holes we live in that keep us from God, that we can't see him. I think it's safe to say everyone's got a past, right? I went to Penn State. That's all you got to say, <laughs> right? Uh, no, everyone's got, everybody has a past. Every person sitting in here has things that have happened to them that you have done or have been done to you. Things that have happened to you, things that you have done that cause you to be kind of stuck, unable to see God clearly. And the thing about the past, unlike the present and unlike the future, is you can't change it. It's fixed. There are few things, as you know, I hope, as I do, there are few things that are more paralyzing in this life than guilt. The things we've done, the sins we've committed, the mistakes we've made, the guilt of our past, the things, the words we wish we'd not said, the decisions we'd made that we wish we hadn't done, the what-ifs, that's the valley. That's the pit we sit in. Or maybe it's the things that have been done to you. Maybe it's the wrongs that have been committed against you. Ever been betrayed? That's a deep ditch right there. You ever have someone talk behind your back? Remember the time that someone let you down so badly that you can remember even the smallest detail of it many, many years later? When I was in sixth grade, somebody stole my denim jacket. It was in my locker. I put it there, and I came back to leave for work, for uh, go home, and my denim jacket was gone. Someone took it, and while I couldn't prove it, I know who did it. I know who it was, because I'd see him wearing this new jacket, and I could see this stupid smirk on his face when he saw me. I could still see it 45 years later. It still bothers me a little. <laughs> And it's a stupid example, and I'm not going to sit here and give you my dirty laundry. Obviously, it would be unseemly, but it's a simple example, but it's a real one. Forty-five years later, I can remember that detail. It's a valley for me. It's a silly example. It's a stupid example, but it makes my point. Listen, the only way out of a ditch, the only way to fill in those valleys for God to be arriving to see you, the only way to do it is to forgive. The only way out of the ditch is forgiveness. This is why Jesus reminds us of this over and over and over again. This is not just some platitude. This is Christ lifting us out of our own past, the things that we've done to others that have been done to us. 
Forgiving others for stealing our jeans jacket, right? Forgiving ourselves for the sins that we've committed. Asking for forgiveness for those we have betrayed, let down, wronged. Filling in those ditches so that we can see God. Friends, the only way out is forgiveness. Because see, Advent is a season about getting ready. Adventus, Latin. John the Baptist calls us out. Repent, change direction. Get ready for Christ's return before it's too late. Make way for him to be at your center. Tear down the mountains. Fill in those valleys so that our path to God is clear, so that we are increasingly ready for his return. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for John the Baptist, the consummate straight shooter who calls us to question our motives, who reveals for us our blind spots. Show us our blind spots and help us to change, to tear down the mountains that block our view, to fill in the valleys of our past with forgiveness from your son, Jesus, and with the help of his grace. Even as we wait for Christ's return, Lord, help our hearts to be prepared for it. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.